and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Rusty. And I am Sir Jimmy Stuffed, because uh, let me tell you folks, I've been eating a lot. But anyways, uh, welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club today. We're in the Storm of Swords, Davos, Chapter 3. And I, Matt, Matt, I'm going to assume that you're the Rusty because we had to shoot this intro about 12 times because we yep. could not get it down. It's been a while. It's been about, what, it's, two weeks? It's been a while. Yeah, you know, we had a little extended holiday break. Uh, Jimmy, you and I haven't even talked in like three weeks, but it was like the week before the week before Christmas. Um because uh wow i mean just not only the holidays going on but like family drama jimmy and i jimmy and i's spouses like essentially both lost grandparents and like uh, the same like a week just yeah. wild uh yeah. <laughs> jimmy's like hey man uh you know wife's losing a grandparent this week you have to push it back and then i'm like hey my wife's losing a grandparent i mean it's just like 2024 is off to a, a great start, I guess. You know, it's like <laughs> this is like oh, line is getting shorter. 20, 2024 is going to be better than 2023. Yeah, we'll see about that. Uh, so, yeah, I have know. my doubts. I'll be honest. At least it's an even number year. Those usually tend to. Well, honestly, they coincide with huge events that are world changing and, and yeah. usually kind of depressing. But uh, you know it what? We, we, we need to be in better moods, though. I we am. You. you know, hey, it's leap year. We get a leap. We get an extra day this year. An extra day, and you're going to have an extra member of your household. That's true, man. I don't know if I've told this on the podcast, but uh, yeah, my wife's about three months away from we're about to have our first child. Wild. You're going to be a dad. Yep. About April 10th, something like that. Yeah. So Sir, little, man, little, father. little, little girl. I'm, I'm excited. I am. I'm actually excited that it's going to be a girl. That's what I want. You're going to be a great girl, dad. I think. Yep. I'm going to go buy a shotgun here in a couple weeks. Because I figure in about, oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years. I mean, hopefully like 18, right? But, you know, I probably like 14 years. Some snot-nosed kid's going to be coming to my door. Uh, Mr. Brady, I'm here to take out your daughter. The fuck you are. <laughs> I'm a big fan uh, of the podcaster, Matt. <laughs> yeah, no. Get off my doorstep. All right. Yeah, I'm She'll date when she's married. All right. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. That's going to be me. So. You're like yeah, the Viserys of your household now. It's well, let's, I prefer the Ned Stark of the. Wait, you want to die? I guess they both die. They both die. One more horribly than the other, though. I don't know. Viserys did not look good, man. Yeah, but if you get to make that final, that final stand, that last walk, that was that was pretty sweet. What did, what did Ned do? Ned got down on his knees and got beheaded by a boy king while while giving away. Everything that he had worked for in his name wow. by saying that he you committed are, treason. You are, you are convincing any new listeners, which January is the month of new listeners to the podcast. You are You're just welcome. persuading. Yeah. But hey, you know what else is happening in 2024? House of the Dragon season two. You think we're going to get a Super Bowl trailer or a little? I think we're going to get a clip. I think we're going to get a clip. It's going to be packaged inside of a Max yes. thing. Yeah. Yeah, which, hey, brings us to, we'll dive into some news, but we are going to get to Davos today, will be today's chapter, but uh, there's actually quite a bit of news. We're going to, we have um, some news about a new, I guess not necessarily new, we've we've talked about it, but it's going to be kind of converted into animation, but real quickly, I want to talk about some potential news uh, and what we could, what this could potentially do to good old HBO, and that is, there are rumblings, Jimmy. More and more and more that another merger is going to be happening with the parent company of A Song of Ice and Fire, which is, you know, HBO, which is Warner Brothers, which is Warner Brothers Discover, that it might be merging with Paramount. Yeah, this is uh, pretty major. I'll be honest. Every time this happens, I get super duper nervous that HBO is going to get messed with. Like, that's the word. <sighs> yeah. So I also find it interesting that we're talking about animation because mm -hmm. if i this merger is like warner brothers and discovery merging okay warner brothers and paramount i don't know i kind of see the ftc stepping in and saying no too big um they would have a complete monopoly on like kids cartoons because they would have nickelodeon like and cartoon network um you would have like a pretty mega sports monopoly with like TNT basketball and then the CBS. I could see that. But if 
if Warner Brothers is going to merge or get bought out by anybody, then I think Paramount is the best option. I'd much rather that than they were talking about like Comcast, Universal, no you know, NBC. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. So I and, the, and they actually a lot of Warner Brothers uh, TV shows because they don't have like one of the antenna channels are a lot of their shows air on CBS. Like that's where they that's typically been their mega partner, like, you know, like Big Bang Theory, stuff like that. Like a lot of their like sitcoms, stuff like that are like Warner Brothers sitcoms, but they air on CBS. So yeah. they kind of already got that partnership going. But I could see this being beneficial because Nickelodeon obviously has a they have a bunch of great animation studios and animation is really expensive. So that could tie into our kind of big news here, which is George Martin said that the Corliss Valerian show, the 10,000 ships, right, that we've been talking about is, or, you know, nine voyages, sorry, the 10,000 ships is the Nymeria show, but uh, he's saying it's going to be, it's going to be moving over from live action to animation. I think that this is maybe a symptom of, of two things. One, animation getting more popular among the adults, especially as us millennials grow up and other generations. Um, it, it's definitely increasing popularity, but two, there's there's another reason for this. And it's almost like a double dipping of sorts. And the reason why I'm saying this now is because we're seeing a lot of animated series that are getting a good run and then becoming live action. And it started and it used to be always a nightmare. It never worked very well. But there have been some counter examples, the most recent of which obviously is One Piece. One Piece live action show mm -hmm. has been a massive success. So I think that there's a possibility that they're saying, well, these shows, we're not as sure that they're going to be, uh, you know, the hits that House of the Dragon was. Dunkin' Egg will be. So let's put them on animated, see if they can gather a following and then maybe spin it into a live action. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the thing about this is I know like Warner Brothers has been kind of like they've been shelving like they there's like a there's like a Roadrunner Wile E. Coyote movie or something. Oh, it's they're planning to do it. It's gone. Yeah. And uh, I guess potentially like somebody can come pick it up or buy. It. I don't know. That's kind of what I was reading is like somebody can step in and like kind of like pick that up and distribute it if they want. Um, but. <clears throat> You know, like I, I really the best partner. I, what I would, what I, what I would be okay with is them licensing out some of these things. Like they've been licensing out some Batman stuff to like Netflix, like Batman animation and stuff like that. Um, man, we've talked about it before. I would love, you know, we've we've been talking about like the Ice Dragon, some of these other animation projects. He's been talking about Netflix to handle it because Netflix has they did like a Witcher like prequel animation thing that was amazing. Obviously, we've talked about the Castlevania series before and netflix is now going to do a like new animated version of one piece yeah that that is interesting because it's actually going to be from the uh studio that did attack on titan which no matter what you mm -hmm. think of that show the animation is absurdly good um right. that that's a whole nother can of worms that i could get into because they're gonna have to get the original voice actor they got a lot of work to do to make that in good faith uh for the people who right. love the anime and have for 20 years but yeah, I mean, there is some major studios um, that are doing great work. And another animated show, by the way, that has done tremendous numbers and people are loving is Blue Eye Samurai. 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and 8.8 .8 on IMDb. And George R. R. Martin said as good as anything in Westeros, by the way. I mean, he says that he, he watched it and he loved it. Um, and it's on Netflix. And I really recommend people check it out. I've only watched the first episode and thought it was incredible. Um, but it's it's a TV show. So th there's just a lot of excitement right now around animation and selfishly, by the way, I hope that these shows do well, because I think for the next 20 or so years, the only chance of us getting any kind of remake of the television show and maybe, you know, an amended ending <clears throat> will be through animation. Yeah, I agree. And I'd be fine with a different studio handling as long as George is involved. Right. Yes. Or Ryan Condell. Um, yeah, exactly. And the only place I see that happening is Warner Brothers or and netflix because as far i don't know I, I don't think i'm not 100 percent up to date on like the paramount side of animation yeah. i think it's pretty much only nickelodeon but you know like warner brothers at least has like adult swim like they have some pretty like adult animated shows that they do anyway there's like the harley quinn show that's like very rated r um mm. and it's hilarious that show has some like, incredibly funny moments just from like clips and things i've seen but um you know netflix is the other one so i could see that 
kind of being the thing here. Um, and here's some quotes from George uh, about this. So he, as you said, he was talking about this blue eyed samurai. He said, you know, it reminds me of, of some books I read. What is the, what was the uh, title of that series? Something about a song. Ah, uh, never mind. Blue eyed samurai is very much its own thing. It's magnificent. Even if you don't normally watch animation, give it a try. If you like my stuff, I think you'll love it. As it happens, HBO and I have our own animated projects set in the world of A Song of Ice and Fire. None of them have been greenlit yet, but I think we're getting close to taking that next step with a couple of them. When this last round of development series, when this last round of development started a few years ago, we had four ideas for animated shows with some great talents attached. Writers' rooms, summits, online, you know, scripts followed in due course, but alas, two of the original projects were shelved. And he's then gives a little note about what he's talked about shelved rather than killed like nothing he says nothing's really ever dead in hollywood it just gets shelved and you know sometimes it can get taken off a few years later he says i still have hopes of presenting the stories that we shelved in another form perhaps as graphic novels work on the other two animated projects continues um however and meanwhile we have moved nine voyages our series about the legendary voyages of the sea snake over from live action to animation, a move I support fully. Budgetary constraints would likely have made a live action version prohibitively expensive with uh, what with half the show taking place at sea and the necessary necessity of creating a different port every week from Driftmark to Liss, you know, all the places well and on and on. There's a whole world out there and we have a lot better chance of showing it all with animation. So now we have three animated projects underway. Will any of them make its air happen? No way to know. Nothing certain in Hollywood. But if it does happen with one or two or all three shows, I hope we can make them as good and as gorgeous and gripping as Blue Eye Samurai. We'll try for damn sure. Yeah, I mean, George seems very optimistic about this. And I think it's kind of neat, especially from someone who's coming from the old school uh, Hollywood, you know, I mean, coming from stuff like the Twilight Zone and then obviously in Game of Thrones and his other stuff to see him be able to say, you know, animation might be a good way for some of these stories to get told should give us some sort of confidence uh, going forward. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I like this. I'm, I, I agree. I think I think once we get the first A Song of Ice and Fire related animated show, depending on how it does, it just opens the door for more essentially you know i mean i think when you look at anything warner brothers does which includes hbo the big thing is dc i mean they crush it on animation yeah uh, uh over there i mean there's they have the people kind of don't know about this but there's an entire like you know you look at the mcu and the dc there's an they have like a 15 movie arc like that's all animated that's like a dc universe arc that's like it's good like the whole thing is like really good i mean it's way better than the live action movies we got in that same span of, you know span of time oh, yeah. so i mean you really could begin to build something here and that's only going to help build interest build people that want to come you know see it um you know if you do something that can be shown like you know on syndicate because they show anime on like adult swim and stuff like that so that could be like you know you could do something like that where it's broadcast to like a wider audience than just say HBO or Max, um, like even bigger because it's like on television. I mean, you could you could seriously begin to uh, begin to create stuff and flesh out the world. And there's so many different stories you could tell and do with good animation and make things bigger and grander. And it's just so much. It's so much easier to write. Um, of course, it's expensive. It's really expensive, and it takes a long time to do. Um, mm -hmm. probably takes longer actually than like filming stuff in live action anymore. I don't know, but it does take a long time. Like if you look at the League of Legends show that was very <clears throat> successful, uh, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but uh, it was on Netflix and it was, you know, a lot of people loved it. It's been like, I think almost two or three years since season one <laughs> and yeah. they're saying next year it'll come out. So it does take a while, but anymore, I mean, it's almost two years between seasons now for premium television shows yeah so we'll see i think it's cool there's three animated shows so the nine voyages was the then the i i don't know that we really know what the other two are the animated so he just said that there he just said that well, there's things he was always at was always talked about the ET right. one and and you know talking about telling the entire story again in animation has also been talked about by george so 
I I think that's I think that's the way to go. I mean, if we win, you know, well, here we go. Win's a winner. Here uh, we go. Know, <laughs> right. You're all right. By the way, Jimmy's prediction: November of this year. We'll see. Uh, uh, <laughs> so it's not looking good, guys. I'm not gonna lie. So yeah, I mean, maybe that is what we do. Is he finish by the in the next decade? If he finishes the book, one of the books, or or two of the books, or whatever, then. Maybe they just do retell it in animation, which could be sweet. I mean, animations, you you know, some things in animation are huge. It's becoming yeah. more and more and like especially like anime itself is becoming way more popular in the US. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the, the Western cultures are starting to get into it as, uh, you know, places in Asia have been about it for a very, very long time. So I, I think it I think it has the potential to be really cool. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll see an animated remake before we see wins. Probably. I would say that's uh, <laughs> that's yeah that's that's most likely. So, all right. Well, with that, let's uh, let's dive on into the. Oh, sorry. Hold on a second here. Yeah, you know the third. Yeah, we're gonna dive into the Davos chapter here. I think I closed my uh, window here. So let me just <laughs> sometimes the, uh... I do that too. Whenever we're googling and looking up different <clears> shows <throat> and stuff. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, what happened to that window, man? I was on it. But uh, here we go. We'll get this pulled up here. So we are into Davos 3. So last time we were with him, Davos basically got thrown in prison, which is where we'll be for this chapter. So yes. Davos imprisoned beneath the Dragonstone is visited by Melisandre. The Red Woman tells Davos that her purpose is to keep the darkness at bay. When Davos asks about the shadow she birthed, she tells him that Stannis is too weak, and should she draw more life energy from him, he would die. Melisandre tells Davos that there's only two gods, R'hllor and the Great Other, whose name cannot be spoken. They're opposites, white and black, good and evil, fire and ice. The Other is the god of darkness the soul of ice and his war with relore is everywhere and everlasting melisandre claims that the other's servants often hide in plain view but the priests of relore can see through falsehoods she explains that she saw in the flames that davos wanted to murder her davos admits this blaming her for the death of his sons who died in the battle of the blackwater melisandre speaks of prophecy which uh, portends that Azora High will be born again in the light of her lore, and she is convic convinced that Stannis is the embodiment of, embodiment of this prophecy. When the Red Star bleeds and darkness gathers, Azora High shall be born again amidst smoke and salt to wake dragons out of stone. Melisandre departs, telling him that he has served her lore once, and he will do so again. Later, Axel Florent brings his brother Alistair, Stannis' hand, and tosses him into the cell with Davos. Lord Florent is a defeated man, and he tells Davos that his nephew, Imri, died with the fleet, and that most of Stannis' bannermen were captured at the battle and bent the knee to Joffrey. He is now condemned as a traitor for writing a letter he planned to send to Lord Tywin, offering peace, and suggests that Stannis would swear fealty to Joffrey, but would remain Lord of Dragonstone in Storm's End and that the Florence would get Brightwater Keep back. In addition, he offers Shireen's hand in marriage to Tommen. Alistair rants about Melisandre talking of a stone dragon. Madness. Sheer madness. Did we learn nothing from Arian Bright, uh, Brightfire? The, from the Nine Mages? From the Alchemist? Did we know nothing from Summerhall? No good has ever come from these dreams of dragons. Davos knows Stannis well and tells Florence that Stannis would rather die a king than bend the knee and that he would never consent to wed his daughter to Tommen, a child born of incest. Yeah, so some pretty clear Stannis is by the book, for the book, uh, never going to bend, very black and white in his approach to things. And I think that this is a pretty realistic stance, right? That Davos knows that there's not a chance that he would he would uh, marry his daughter to Tommen, and that these are essentially wastes of time like you're not going to be able to reason like this with stannis so the bigger thing though a lot of azora high stuff that we're hearing really for the first time here in the books uh and mentions of the great other and who is the lord of the darkness and just a lot of stuff that matters and this is some of the stuff not all but some of the stuff that was really absent in the show the azora high prophecy yada 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 uh wasn't necessarily in the show so this is one of those chapters where the books have a lot more depth and uh the questions remain as we wait for the for the future books yeah and i mean the whole deal right here i mean really the the biggest takeaway from this chapter of course is 
the prophecy of Azora High, right? When the red star bleeds and darkness gathers, Azora High shall be born again amidst smoke and salt to wake dragons out of stone. Yeah, and thinking about this, you know, the red, you think about the comet, we think mm -hmm. about the fact that Daenerys then hatched dragons, which, you know, out of stone has always been a huge huge thing that we could dive into and there's are there people. dragons are there dragons under dragonstone are there dragons in the ice are there dragons just waking from from eggs like petrified dragon eggs right i've also seen people say is it dragonstone uh like the people people gathering around dragonstone and raising up for maybe young griff or daenerys in a future war and that those are the dragons right the targaryen banner coming back is the is that the dragon coming from stone because sometimes these these prophecies are abstract or disappointing that's another thing but one of the things that you can think about with daenerys uh, being azora high is the fact that dragons raised from stones you could say that the dragon eggs which are everyone thought were fake right people thought they were just kind of like props that they would be kind of stone right no egg inside not a real egg but from those proposed fake eggs or neutral eggs came forth the dragons so i think at least on the on the face of this thing i mean it really feels like it is pointing towards daenerys does it not yeah i mean daenerys sort of daenerys are kind of john I think of the two, but if I had to pick one person, I think it is it is mostly uh, Daenerys. I think makes it sort of makes most sense, mostly because she's the person who's already raised dragons out of stone, and it happened to come in a ceremony in which, you know, you could say the Red Star bleeding. You could say that was kind of like Daenerys, right? Because she gave birth. In yeah, the, in, in I mean, the actually, yeah, and the the comet, and she gave birth, and then dragons rose from stone outside of those outside of those eggs that nobody thought would ever hatch so you could argue that daenerys is already azora high that's kind of what it feels like yeah i mean if you had to pick somebody now i mean of course you know you look at the show and what we think is going to happen at the the tower of you know tower of joy with like dawn's which is a fallen star above the bed while liana is giving birth i mean that's a little more poetic and then you know a lot of people look at that whole i think the thing that most like youtubers and stuff like that seem to point point to is Azor High shall be born again amidst smoke and salt. Yeah, they so, get really, uh, you know, they, that seems to be the things that they focus on. But you could argue Davos. I mean, Davos becomes a changed person during the Battle of the Blackwater, in which he is in salt water, right? I mean, oh. there's smoke. So are you saying Davos Zora High? Is that what we're, we're going with? I've always, I will say, I've and I've talked about this on the podcast many times, I've always loved the idea of Azora High being not like one of the secondary characters. Hmm. Like to me, the person who I think would make the coolest Azora High would be the Hound. Just because his whole story is about fire, right? Yeah. Is that his, he was burned and everything and then he becomes... You know, you see him with like a sword that's on fire and he's the one who takes down the Night King. Yeah. So that's why I was that's why I was never against the idea of Arya doing it, because I thought it would be kind of cool if it was more of like a random person, like a Jorah Mormont type yeah. type person. And then and then the whole deal isn't. And then, like, I guess, like John being like Rhaegar's son and everything doesn't have to be the same thing. Like maybe he like like maybe the idea of like significance for for his heritage, right? Right. So like one of the things I thought was kind of cool when we were watching it in the in the beginning of this, you know, beginning of season eight was that maybe John is like Lightbringer and that John is the one that brings everyone together and Lightbringer mm -hmm. and Azor High are two different two separate things, yeah. and so that's why I kind of thought that I that something like that could be cool and that could still be the route that it goes in the books. Yeah. Um, Maybe not, you know, maybe Danny is and John is Lightbringer or something because, you know, Lightbringer is kind of different. I mean, it's like the whole deal is that Azor Ahai will wield Lightbringer, the sword. So some people, some people speculate maybe Lightbringer is like Drogon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If it's if it's Danny, then it's then it's the dragon or maybe it's an art. Maybe it's a symbolic thing and it's an army. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I like the idea of like bringing the people together and that being a device that which Danny can use. I mean, based on this, I feel like Daenerys being Azora high makes a whole lot of sense. And me and you have also speculated. I think we're both still on the train of saying that Danny will die in a great sacrifice, 
you know, basically being the one to defeat the others. And maybe the bittersweetness of it is that she never gets her due in the history books. Um, that's possible. And John could still be a piece of this. Now, with that said, I think John's heritage being this big secret, being the biggest reveal in the series, at least that we know of it thus far, it, it has to have more of a payoff than just this guy was someone's specials son right and one might say well maybe him taking the iron throne at the end and being a great ruler with all this experience of the night's watch and everything ned taught him like maybe that would be enough to to be worth uh his heritage being this big secret which i would agree with if george hadn't said that he has brand sitting on the throne at the end of the series which could have changed but i don't think so i think george had stuff in mind for john's heritage and azora high so yeah. here's my here's 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 my thought I think more than one person could fit the label of Azora High. I don't think that we're ever going to see a chapter penned by George, not because he won't finish, but because I don't think it's his style to say, oh, hey, by the way, this is Azora High. I think we will always be able to have these conversations about who it was without a clear answer to the prophecy. And I know some people get annoyed by that, but if you look at the prophecies that George has put in the series, there's almost for every one of them a couple different answers. And if that isn't just already a commentary on prophecies itself, right? If, if I give you a prophecy, Matt, you know, we're down there at the Pentecostal church and I prophesy over you, you are going to find multiple things in your life that could fit that prophecy. Or if I went to a room and I said, one of you will be this or that multiple people will find that and we will see it in, t in, in different ways. That is the nature of prophecies, why they can be very dangerous. Uh, and I think George is playing with that here. So Azora high being able to fit people like the hound, or Davos, or Danny, or John is one of the things that makes this series so fun and open-ended and, and a cause for a lot of discussion is because everyone can have a seat at the table and give their perspective about it. We don't have to have it 100% ironclad proven. The only thing about this is that obviously John's in the discussion and John's heritage does have to matter because we're going to get an answer to it. So him being Azora High does feel significant and it feels right but i don't know if it, if it's that cut and dry maybe the red herring is danny and then john really is the azora high maybe but i don't know you know the, and another another way i want to i want to question you with this is obviously it seems like you know we know so when you're reading this when you get to this point like i mean obviously you, we kind of take your knowledge try and take your knowledge of like the show and then you know what we know in the books happens happen afterwards is this is really the first time that somebody melisandre is telling the reader for the first time hey no there is a there is a champion who's specifically supposed to take on the cold and we already know about the cold gods like because we've seen the white walkers and we know they're out there and winter is coming and all of that stuff but as we get further down the line we know that kind of Melisandre's wrong and thinking that it's Stannis. I mean, in the books, yeah. it could be, but so are we kind of, I think we always look at, we always go back and look at her as sort of like what she's saying here is going to happen. Well, should we be, should we, should we really be taking this as like a hundred percent factual? No, I mean, we know it's the series of a song of ice and fire and all that stuff, but, she talks about like there's agents of the dark. I don't know that we like we we really don't. Are the agents of the dark just the White Walkers? Are there I other? Think, yeah, there? I, I think I think it's the White Walkers. But here's the thing about prophecies in the series. There's always a little bit true and a little bit wrong and a lot misconstrued every single time. You know, whenever Sansa has the dream about the giant at winter coming through Winterfell and smashing, and we think it's going to be this big thing. Maybe it'll be the long night, yada, yada, yada. Turns out it's just Robin stomping through her snow castle up there in the Vale. And it's a very like, oh, that does fulfill the prophecy, but it's a little bit disappointing. I, I think Melisandre has a lot of stuff here that's probably close. One of the reasons why people like the idea of John being Azor High is Azor High shall be born amidst small, uh, smoke and salt to wake dragons out of stone. This is where Melisandre would raise him from the dead. So he will ra raise from uh, salt and smoke, most likely smoke and salt being stuff that's helping preserve his body as as he's worked into ghost is my assumption mm -hmm. and she will raise him and there she will see 
oh, maybe I was wrong about Stannis. And if Stannis were to die during this time, she is going to be shook all the way to her core. And then she might be able to see this prophecy being fulfilled in John. Now, the interesting thing is she could be wrong about John, too, because she doesn't know Daenerys Targaryen. Which is crazy to think about because she never yeah. really, she doesn't she never mentions like Daenerys in the flames. Yeah, we know she sees Blood Raven in the flames. Yes, and and John, but she never sees Danny, which is kind of well. We've talked about Daenerys kind of being omitted from a lot of the prophecies, a lot of the visions, a lot of the dreams, and she is almost in the blind sight of this all. And remember, I think I posed this question a couple episodes back: Is Daenerys like not in the Werewood Network because she's in Essos and that's why they can't see her possibly. Uh, it's interesting. So yeah. So where does the, how far does the Relore Network? That's what I'm saying. Uh, right. And right. I yeah. think we're under the assumption that there's probably many gods or maybe even just one God. And like these structure religions probably aren't actually correct. It's most right. likely they're each of them are getting little bits, right? Relore just happens to be, yeah. working very well right now yeah here i want to read i just want to read a little bit of this here yeah. so this is when she's talking to Davo. she's saying you know death and winter and summer evil and good she took a step toward him death and life everywhere opposites everywhere the war the war asked davos the war she affirmed there are two onion knight not seven not one not a hundred or a thousand two do you think i crossed half the world to put yet another vain king on yet another empty throne the war has been waged since the time began, and before it was done, all men must choose where they will stand. On one side is Relor, the light of light, the heart of fire, the god of flame and shadow. Against him stands the great other, whose name may not be spoken, the lord of darkness, the soul of ice, the god of night and terror. Ours is not a choice between Baratheon and Lannister, between Greyjoy and Stark. It's, it is death we choose or life, darkness or light. She clasped the bars of his cell with her slender white hands. The ruby at her throat seemed to pulse with its own radiance. So tell me, Sir Davos, and tell me truly, does your heart burn with the shining light of her lore, or is it black and cold and full of worms? She reached through the bars and laid three fingers upon his breast as if to feel the truth of him through flesh and wool and leather. Um, you know, my heart, Davos says, is full of doubts. Ah, Davos, the good knight is honest to the last, even in his day of darkness. It is well you did not lie to me, or I would have known. The other's servants oft hide black hearts in gaudy light. So Relor gives his priests the power to see through falsehoods. She stepped lightly away from the cell. What did you mean? You know, then they talk a little bit about this, about like, you know, wanting to kill him and stuff like that. And she says, no one betrayed you on a night. I saw your purpose in my flames. If you can see the future in those flames, how is it that we burned upon the black water? You gave my sons to the fire, my sons, my ship, my men. Melisandre shook her head. You wronged me. Those were no flames of mine. Had I been with you, your battle would have had a different ending. But his grace was surrounded by unbelievers and his pride proved stronger than his faith. His punishment was grievous and he learned from his mistakes. You know, so they, they go on a little bit more here, uh, but I kind of want to get back to like her prophesizing and stuff here. The war continues, Davos, and soon we will learn that even an ember in the ashes can still ignite a great blaze. The old maester looked at Stannis and saw only a man. You see a king, you're both wrong. He is the Lord's chosen, the war. He is the Lord's chosen, the warrior of fire. I have seen him leading the fight against the dark. I have seen it in the flames. The flames do not lie. Else you would have not be not be here. You know, when the red star bleeds, all that stuff. Uh, which we said a few couple times here. The bleeding star has come and gone, and Dragonstone is the place of smoke and salt. Stannis Baratheon is Azora High Reborn. His red eyes blazed like twin fires and seemed to stare deep into his, his soul. Her red eyes. You do not believe me. You doubt the truth of her lore even now. Yet I have served him all the same and will serve him again. I shall leave you here to think about all that I told you. And because her is the source of all good, I shall leave the torch as well. And so then she leaves. And then Stannis kind of thinks about it a little bit. Once Melisandre's footsteps faded away, the only sound was the scrabbling of rats. Ice and fire, he thought. Black and white, dark and light. Davos could not deny the power of her god. He had seen the shadow crawling from her womb and the priestess knew things she had no way of knowing. She saw my purpose in her flames. It was good to learn that Sala had not sold him, but thought 
of the red woman spying out his secrets with her fires just uh, disquieted him more than he could say. And what did she mean when she said, I had served her God and would serve him again? So interesting kind of things here, Jimmy. One, as we just talked about, Melisandre travels from, we believe, E.T., right? And uh, and Ashai, excuse me. They're both they're both over there. Uh, so as far as we know, nobody's gone east or yeah, nobody's gone east of a shy unless Westeros. you right, unless it is just a circle and it just comes back around. So she would have had to have traveled all the way from a shy, potentially through the Dothraki waste and Essos and Bravos to get over here. She sees some man, Stannis Baratheon in the flames. So she would have no idea who she, who he was. You would believe all the way on the complete opposite side of the world travels all the way over there. And yet here's nothing about potentially Daenerys Targaryen and Cal Drogo and all of that. I mean, how long, you know, it would take her almost a year just to get over there. You would think she would hear about some of this. Well, communication in this world is so fickle. I mean, Daenerys doesn't find out about Robert Baratheon being dead for like, what, six months almost been book time. Yeah, but yeah, but she because she, she shows up I mean, her. She, I believe she's mentioned at sort of the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, so she would have. So she would clash kings. Right. So D Danny and all that stuff would have, I guess, does take place after she leaves. And also, and also Daenerys is a secret still over there, right? Besides with the Caldrogo, I mean, Illyrio is doing his best to keep da Daenerys and her brother, Viserys, secret. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that she hadn't heard it. And another thing about Stannis in the flames, she probably saw somebody in the flames. Who's to say that she didn't make Stannis fit that model? Right, yeah, because the, the interesting thing is we really don't know that much about all we know is that she shows up. She's mentioned around the time of Robert's like Robert has died. And then we hear about, well, Stannis has his Stannis is, is with this priest. Yeah. At, as Stannis is beginning to say, you know, like not go back Ned Stark and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of an interesting thing that hopefully we get some clarification on at some point. Like when exactly does Melisandre show up? Does she show up? Is she with Stannis before Robert dies? Does she show up after Robert dies? I believe it's and then, before. I believe it's before. So she's she. So Stannis just lets you know that he just also seems like the kind of person to not let let her in. So you know it would have to be like she did. She give him some details and say, "I think your brother's gonna die," and then maybe that's the thing that causes him to be like, Ooh. "Okay, yeah, some then, sort of confirmation, right?" And then Robert dies, and then she's like, you should be the one true king of Westeros because those childs are born of incest. Like, you know, so what all does she see? Because she's been around for a long time, we think. Because in theory, book Melisandre might actually be her exact age. We don't know that. Yeah. You know, we think, obviously, they talk about the ruby and we, you know, glamoring. And then, of course, the show tells us that she's older. And I think that's likely the case because um, she obviously does glamoring stuff but it to, has not been confirmed in the show in the book that she actually isn't the age she presents to mm -hmm. be yeah and in another good note every time we do these melisandre chapters i always mention this but i'll do it again uh is that george r, r. martin said that melisandre is the most misunderstood pov in the entire series yeah it, that that's something right that, that we have to kind of consider and I think maybe some of the misunderstanding comes from people thinking that she is an opportunist that is trying to hijack Stannis Baratheon's claim to make R'hllor the dominant religion or whatever, you know, ends that she wants to get to. I, I think maybe she truly believes all this stuff. I'm not maybe. I think she does truly believe all this stuff. And I think she really does believe that Stannis is R'hllor. Um, I think that you could even tell in some of the stuff that she's saying to Davos that she's getting things wrong. Um, salt and smoke being dragon stone and his eyes burned and all this stuff. Like, you know, she's making it fit. I think she's going to see things from salt and smoke in a bit, possibly John's resurrection that is going to make her reconsider some of these things. And I think the, along with this, the whole, like, you know, people who burn bright have dark souls that are working for the others. I think that's another misconception. I feel like she's 
like she imagines Davos is kind of working against her. So she could even label Davos as an agent of the other if she really wanted to here. And I just feel like that's her drawing lines and being tribal. I don't think that that's actually a part of it. I think the funny thing is, I think that she's right that there's a battle between light and darkness and the others and everything that's coming. But I think that she's like almost accidentally correct in some instances. Yeah, you know, the th the the line that kind of throws me off, um, and maybe this is like a good connection and thing to bring up is like the world of ice and fire, because the world the world of ice and fire talks about, you know, back in the age of heroes, right? Mm -hmm. There was like somebody who you know all these like it could be one person we don't know, like maybe these legends got mended together, but there was like a le a tale of somebody who defeated the darkness in a shy, which is all the other side of the world, like not Westeros. And, and, you know, and like things like that. So when you talk about it, you know, we sort of think it's the White Walkers. But how do the White Walkers affect a shy, which is all the way on the complete opposite side of the world? And, you know, like, how does that how does the darkness affect it over there? Is it like so is there and she talks about the agents of the darkness. So is there more than just I think we think you like the White Walkers, like potentially, yeah. you know, the three eyed crow could be an agent of the darkness are warlocks like an agent of darkness really you know like maybe they think they're doing their own thing but the god that sort of empowers them is actually the other you know you have the faceless men who are i was not saying what about the, the, back, the house of the right the house of black and white so maybe that is we're talking about life and death i think uh, house right of so, dying. yeah so maybe like that is something that like we kind of forget about that might be explored a little bit further in winds of winter and um dream for spring is like it's more than just what's going on in westeros and like the the that's why the best candidate for the whole thing is euron to be like the real agent of the other right and maybe it is maybe it's going to come down to like you know it's like a euron verse like potentially john snow and it's like john's like powered by relore and he's powered by the other and it's going to be like this all-out huge war amongst these like more than more than just the 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 white walkers yes and also like a worldwide cataclysmic event i mean we've always said that we feel like this big cataclysmic event apocalyptic event it's kind of weird that it's really just affecting westeros like maybe it'll spread that's definitely possible but one thing that could be majorly wrong about this entire thing and i feel i'm leaning towards this direction is that the white walkers have their own we've talked about white walkers aren't just mindless evil that would throw this entire prophecy for a loop would it not mm -hmm. just something to think about yeah so i wanted to pull this character up here i'll, I'll share him on the on the screen as well so this is something we talked about uh as and i talked about way back in the day with a uh, crow food's daughter she's another youtube uh, creator uh, the bloodstone yeah, the Bloodstone Emperor um, character who a lot of people think is like Euron is going to sort of be this like reincarnated version of this character um, who's broken down a little bit. And this is the person who actually is believed to have ushered in the long night, right? The Bloodstone Emperor's reign was a reign of terror. His um, Usurpation became known as the blood betrayal in the annals of the further east, which claimed that the act of usurping his sister's throne ushered in the long night. He practiced torture, dark arts, and necromancy, enslaved his own people, took a tiger woman for wife, feasted on human flesh, and cast down the true gods of E.T. to worship a black stone that fell from the sky. Some scholars believe him to have been the first high priest of the sinister Church of Starry Wisdom. So this is all stuff that's like, kind of embellished upon that's like literally like one line from here and one line from here a lot of it's in the world of ice and fire um but it is kind of interesting like the things that <clears throat> we don't get much of like yt and a shy but what's in there a lot of that stuff kind of mirrors what we know about like happens in westeros bro the blackstone is significant right what that that's what the Greyjoy's sea stone chair is made of is black. Yeah, stone. so there so there's two types. So there's actually two types of black stone. There is 
and what's described as an oily black stone, which is the sea stone chair, what's seen in a shy. And then there's a fused black stone, which is slightly different, that is seen um, in high tower uh, and then uh, Yi T as well. And I'm just saying, Church of Starry Wisdom is linked to this. And then you have Starfall. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So, like, that could be another thing, too, is like, what if. I mean, you really want to go down some like deep, deep rabbit holes here. What if there was like one meteor that came down that broke apart and then like, you know, like the white side of it hits Westeros and that's what forges dawn. And maybe oh, there's, I mean, that's like you, you're getting like real kind of crazy about and it, it's but a lot it, of Lovecraftian it, stuff, by the way. Right. But the whole deal is it's black and white, right? Mm. It's it's black and white. And like, what if I mean, that could be the crazy thing is I still don't like winter is coming. What if they're the you know, you want to get real crazy. They might be the good guys. And that would not be the first time <laughs> that George has played around with the black and white, which, you know, Taoism also plays with this. But like um, George R. R. Martin, you know, the white cloaks are supposed to be these honorable guard, but they're actually not. The right. black Night's Watch watch wearers are supposed to be criminals and rape the worst of society, but they're actually holding the realms of men. They're over there protecting the realms of men. Just saying. The, the children's novel that he wrote that sort of goes on to inspire this is the Ice yeah. Dragon, and the Ice Dragon is like the savior of the whole deal. Yes, 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 yes. This seems like something George would definitely be interested in. Yeah, it's all, I mean, that's, he's, all, he's all about pulling the surprise, pulling the rug out from under your feet. But I have something that I think is interesting. And maybe this is like a good way to kind of put a punctuation on all the speculation. Mm -hmm. You know what next week's chapter is? Uh, John 3? John, right after we mentioned Azora High. We've talked yep. about how the chapter, the chapter orders really do play into one another and kind of give us nudges. And this isn't uh, crackpot theory. This isn't tinfoily. I mean, me and Matt have demonstrated where George is kind of giving you breadcrumbs from a previous chapter to make connections to the next one. And we see the events actually happen with like the Red Wedding. I'm just saying there's a Zora High breadcrumbs and we go straight to a John chapter into a Daenerys chapter. Mm -hmm. Woo. I know, man. We're kicking and, 2020. We're kicking 2024 off with a bang. All and right, it's, listen. We're going. We're going deep into the speculation. This is yeah. crazy. In yeah. one of the first paragraphs in the John chapter, in the dark, the direwolf's red eyes looked black. And we just talked about. We just <laughs> talked about red burning eyes. eyes. <laughs> burning eyes. I know, man. I'm telling you, the, the deeper you dive into a song of ice and fire the more that's the more crazy it gets like it's it's insane it's it's why we never get tired of it because it's just like dude it's just there's all like we don't even have the last two books and we're still like feel like we're always finding a connection it's so fun dude it's just it's so it's so deep so all right well let's uh we'll dive back in here uh just real quick to kind of close out close out this chapter and talk a little bit about um just some of the the it's it's like we get like the big it's kind of like in a way, the opposite of the brand chapter we did. Yeah. Um, whereas the brand chapter kind of starts with like, uh, here's kind of the news and then ends with like prophecy and Heron Hall and all this stuff. Um, which by the way, we just did a, we just did that brand chapter and that was like Heron Hall and everything. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, mm -hmm. we, here we, here we go. Now we're going to talk with attorney at Heron Hall. Then we're going to talk about R'hllor and all this stuff and Azora High. And then we're going to talk about John. And then we're going to talk about Danny. Crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I know. So uh, like we said uh, in, in the, in the uh, summary here is basically what we're getting now is like, we're getting to see things from Davos's eyes about like the court, like Stannis's court with like the Florence and everything. And really what we're beginning to see. And I think it's a great, this is a great POV chapter of it being Davos in prison getting all of this news from Melisandre about Azor High and everything, and then having to see Stannis making these decisions without Davos, who was like hand of the king, is that like Stannis in a way is supposed to kind of feel out of control. Yeah. And it's really the whole deal sort of supposed to mean like Melisandre is the one in charge now. Right. And talking about like, Ooh, I, I, I thought about making, you know, I mean, in a way the like Stannis was just defeated at the battle of the Blackwater and coming to a peace agreement with Joffrey, 
over like marrying, you know, marrying the things and joining. It's like, we'd have peace. Like this would end, this would end the war. We'd have peace. It wouldn't be exactly what we wanted, but Melisandre and Stannis, no way. No, not a chance. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's kind of, you know, how, how we go and then talk about Arian bright flame, the nine mages, right. I mean, you know, madness, she's madness talking about stone dragons and everything. So that's kind of with the way this chapter ends, which I think is a good ending to this after this whole big prophecy thing for Melisandre is like, uh Oh, everything's out of control. It also puts doubt in the reader's mind. If this is your first time reading through, you're saying everything she's saying, like you could easily overlook all the Azora high stuff and everything she's saying and being like, she's just losing her mind. I mean, Stannis is lost. But there is a little bit of a breadcrumb of if she had been there, would the battle have went any different? I don't think. Yeah, but yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so. I think she's like, it's one of those things where she's conveniently not there. Confirmation. Then, yeah. Right. And then that's because that, you know, the same thing sort of happens when Stannis goes and that's why they burn Shireen. Right. Oh. And then it's like, uh oh. And then that creates the doubt. And Melisandre is like, maybe I'm not, which I think is still going to happen. And that's going to be the same sort of thing that we saw in the show with yeah. John, where she's like, I can't do it. And then she's going to resurrect John. And it's going to be like, all right, here we go. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So I think that's kind of going to go the same way. So, all right. Well, hey, that's our uh, chapter for today. So, uh, you know, it's a new year here. And in January, I look at the podcast numbers. I know there's always a ton of new listeners. So with that, if you guys want to have your thoughts read on the show, uh, be sure to send us an email at btkcast at gmail.com or, you know, message us on like Facebook Messenger. We have a Facebook group as well. That's always pretty active. And you can send us Ravens. And uh, what we really want is for people to, you know, next week we're doing John 3. So if you want to read John 3, like be ahead and send us your thoughts, then we'll incorporate it and be like, hey, this is what this person Yes. said they like stuck out to them in this chapter so that's uh obviously be super cool so with that yeah if you guys want to shoot us those and then we're going to begin a big patreon series we're gonna do a four-part big heron hall thing that we'll be pumping out later at the end of this month i'm gonna make like a like a calendar like here's what you guys can expect in the next few months so uh with with patreon that i'll be putting out on the patreon and the facebook group as well so with that we want to thank you for playing the game of thrones in our next episode we will be discussing a storm of swords john three and if you like our podcast don't forget to subscribe like us write a review leave a comment or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bend the knee podcast.com we will see you next time and remember that winter is coming